You can always tell when it is winter uh, or it's getting into winter as when you go into a time of silence and you hear the sniffles. Uh, did you hear some around you today? It's definitely uh, that time of year. Well, there are seven roads in our nation that lead to nowhere. At least that's what an article, Highway to Nowhere, the seven most ridiculous new roads being built in America, has stated. They are, in order of absurdity, I-65 Downtown Bridge in Louisville, Kentucky, Intercounty Connector, Prince George's and Montgomery Counties, Maryland, Grand Parkway, Houston, Texas, I-66 Kentucky, widening I-93 Southern New Hampshire, I-69 Extension, Indiana, and the I-295 Loop in Fayetteville, North Carolina. All of these roads are said to be going nowhere because they have no real purpose for being built, no real destination, no reason to even get on them. And as we uh, hear these, uh, we may have recognized we have been on one before as well. There are some roads right here in Shreveport that have been labeled roads to nowhere. And uh, maybe you have been on one of those. They contribute to nothing good in the eyes of this particular author who wrote this article. Uh, he notes how they bring urban sprawl and they just keep going and going out to nothingness with nothingness, uh, ruining the quality of life for people as well as for the environment. Have you ever been on a road like one of these in your life? Chances are you have. As we listen to Mark's gospel this morning, we hear about two different ways, two very different roads for travel in life. One is the road to nowhere, and the other one is a road with a real destination, one of peace. One is old and full of potholes, and no, it's not in Shreveport, although I hear that's an issue. I've driven on them myself. Deadly curves are on this road, and the road is lined with billboards prom promising us really everything under the sun. The other road is new. It is smoothed out but it runs through the wilderness and has no flashy advertisements at all. There is only a crazy-looking man on this road, dressed in camel's hair and holding a bag of locusts, calling people to actually pull over from their lives and get into the Jordan River and get baptized. Right there in the River Jordan, as Mark describes it. Well, Mark began his gospel by telling us about this man, John the Baptizer. Or as we Baptists proudly say, John the Baptist. It shouldn't be Baptizer, it's Baptist, of course. And I've met a few Baptists who will trace their Baptist heritage all the way back to John the Baptist. But what people saw as they came upon John was really not as important as what they heard. John, even with mouthful of crunchy locusts and wild honey, was boldly proclaiming to everyone, everyone who could hear his voice, that there was a better way to travel than the way that they were currently on. He looked at the people of Judea, he looked at the people in Jerusalem, and he looked at the Word of God, and he spoke the words that he needed to say to them. John's whole life had been one of preparation, for this moment, as he was out there in the wilderness, for all of this good news to pass through his lips. Isaiah reminds us about this one who would come just as John came. And as Mark stated, it was just the beginning 
of the news. I don't know if you caught that or not in the scripture reading. You could look again there in your bulletin or in your Bible. But John, he, just, he doesn't start with the birth. He just says, in the beginning, he talks about this good news that was coming in the beginning. That this was the beginning of the good news. Someone was coming after him to say, to live, and ultimately die this good news more clearly. John could see that the road they had been on, for, for he had been on this road as well, as, as a part of uh, this group that he is speaking to around him. The, these were his people. These were his fellow Jews. And he looked at them and said, we are on the wrong road. And, and God has been telling us time and time again that we need to get off of this road. This road had been one that had a, a real history of winding and meandering far from the destination that God had for them. We can think about the 40 years in the wilderness as they wandered around trying to get where they needed to go, but so often going their own way and getting frustrated. God was constantly having to reroute them to get where He wanted them to go. And John was at the end of a long line of prophets in partnership with God on this rerouting project. As I think about this road to nowhere, I, I recall a song, and maybe it's just me, I'm a little bit weird, but uh, the Talking Heads. Anybody know the Talking Heads? Okay. Uh, so this will resonate with some of you. Others will just think, what in the world? Uh, but there's a song called Road to Nowhere by the Talking Heads. And if you have weird music tastes like I do, or if you were grown up, if you grew up on MTV, you know, back when they actually showed music videos, uh, then this song, no doubt, uh, was in your mind as you heard this road to nowhere. The chorus says, we're on a road to nowhere. Come on inside. Taking that ride to nowhere, we'll take that ride. I actually found the video and thought I would share a little bit with you just, you know, to kind of make sure you're staying awake with me. Okay, well, <laughs> um, you should watch the whole video. Get, get a full feel of just this song about going nowhere. And if you look online and if you look at the lyrics, you'll see all different kinds of interpretations of what this song is all about and what this road to nowhere is all about and, and how it really leads to nothingness. And it's a song that really makes you wonder what life is really all about and where you're headed with your life. Well, it sounds a lot like what John is saying to the people there around him. Getting them to question the road that they've been on. The camera does a good job in this video of showing what life is like on the road to nowhere. We really don't need much help, though, with the visualization of this road to nowhere. We've all been down this road before. You may even be on it today as you think about your life and where it's headed as you're zipping down a road that once seemed headed in a good direction, and all of a sudden you noticed you're not going in that good direction any longer. You're seeing too many signs around you telling you otherwise. But there are billboards on this road, road to nowhere. Billboards of job, house, car, relationships, and popularity. All of these billboards on that road promise peace to you. I mean, they all line up like Burma shave signs. As you go down, it just leads you to keep on going down this particular road. The drive, though, just creates more anxiety. As you get farther and farther down this road, 
you get more and more anxious and you find that your life is full of so much more turmoil. And yet you started out on this drive looking for peace. Well, part of the good news is that there is an alert that we receive that we are on the wrong road. It's a a light that flashes in our lives, this light of the Bethlehem star that reminds us that there is a better way, that God is working in the midst of the darkness of the night to bring about something that is good. It came to people in Judea and Jerusalem in the form of a call from John the Baptist as he called people out of the wilderness and in really this way of Isaiah, as we heard earlier, to prepare themselves for the one who was coming after him. This one who was coming down a different road. A road that was the new way that God had provided. He called them to turn from the road they were on and to get onto the right road, headed in the right direction. He challenged them to come into the Jordan River to get baptized as a way of showing their repentance from sins and their commitment to God's road and life. This was the way of making peace with God. Isaiah 40 reflects this call to repentance as we heard earlier in the service. As we heard God saying through Isaiah, comfort, comfort my people. And then he says towards the end of that passage this morning, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. Isaiah was letting Israel know that their sins had been forgiven and that the consequences of their sins had been taken care of. It was all over. And these are a group of people who are in exile. They've been carried away from Jerusalem, carried away from their homes and all of the comforts of life. I mean, they they knew no comfort at all in Babylon. And what God is saying is, hang on. Receive the comfort. Recognize that the time of suffering is over. I am getting ready to do something brand new in your lives. But to get there, they needed to realize in confession that the grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. What a powerful statement. Surely, he says, the people are like grass. And in the call to worship that I read, Psalm, uh, the Psalm uh, 84 also expressed the same need for repentance in our Uh, in our lives, as we recognize what it means to turn to God, and when we turn to Him with our hearts, He says, for He will speak peace to His people, to His faithful, to those who turn to Him, or repent to Him with their hearts. The rerouting work of God always involved U-turns in the life of Israel, and in their hearts. I read a story this week illustrating what such a U-turn looks like, and it comes from Mary Graves' in an article called Prepare the Way of the Lord. And she writes, When we went to Romania a few weeks ago and visited the old basilica up on the hill in Crescini, we found that the doorway into the sanctuary is only about four and a half feet high, which means that you have to bow down in order to even get into the door. Father Florin, the Romanian Orthodox priest who was hosting, he explained that that was the point. The door was intentionally built so low that you would have to humble yourself before coming inside to commune with Christ. It is the only way that you can enter into the Christ Mass or Christmas. There is no other way to Christmas, she says. As we make our way into the second Sunday of Advent, considering what peace is for our lives, we must realize there is no other way into it 
than by humbling ourselves before God. The way becomes more clear when we see it, and, and when we see that we are really too big to fit through it. I, I love the, other, the way the other uh, gospel uh, puts it in, in this account of John baptizing. He says, I must decrease, and he must increase. And I think that's the point here with repentance. And this is what was taking place in John's life. And the way of peace opens to us when we get down on our knees in recognition of the holy nature of God. And when we see our nature for what it really is. It happens as we too recognize that our lives are like the grass of the field. That we are creation. And that God is the Creator. And finding real peace with God comes from turning our hearts toward God and away from our ways of sin and of independence. We need to make this turn in our life. This is the preparation part of Advent. We, we just think about the shopping and we think about the Christmas music and we think about getting together with family and all of that and it's all good. But really what we're to be doing right now is preparing for the recognition of this coming into the world. We recognize Christ's first coming, but more than that, we recognize His second coming into the world. So Advent, much like Lent, gives us the alert to our wrong direction and gives us the opportunity for change. Advent is that smaller door into the sanctuary, giving us access to the glory that is waiting inside. Mark tells us how things went with John's invitation to take a plunge into the whole new life. I mean, if God told me to go out to uh, Cross Lake and start calling people from Shreveport, and especially Bozier, to, to repent of their sins and to come into the lake and to get baptized, I mean, I would just say, God, are you crazy? What are you thinking? No one is going to listen to that. No one will come and get baptized in Cross Lake. I mean, it's hard enough, God, to get them to come to church, much less to come and humiliate themselves, you know, to take off all of their belongings and to get into the water and to get baptized. But he says, and people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to John and were baptized by him in the river Jordan. So it was working. God was using him in powerful ways. What a beautiful picture. Imagine the emotions in their lives as they were dropping what they had been carrying. Stepping into the flow of the Jordan and allowing John to lower them into the river. Just try to get back into that context and imagine what those emotions are like. Consider the conviction that is within them as they are deciding that this is what God had called them to do. Consider for a moment the burning of their hearts, the release of guilt, the joy of the way now found when all had been lost in their lives. It is that recognition that they're on a new pathway. Feel the peace that was in their hearts as John brought them out of the water. I don't know if you've ever been to a, a big baptism service where, you know, uh, maybe 50 people are getting baptized. And when we had a, a baptism service uh, this past year, uh, I think we had four, and as they were coming out of the water, there's that celebration. Everybody just feels compelled to clap, and it's such an exciting time. And I just kind of get the thought that that was going on here as well. 
that all the people that are gathered around and they're watching the uh, people come up out of the water, there is that excitement. There is a smile on their faces. There are tears that are coming down their eyes. They did not exit the river in the same way that they entered the river. Their lives had been changed. And how true for us. Imagine what peace looks like for you these days. What it looks like when you are on the right road. Think about your emotions and how things will be when you drop the heavy load that you've been carrying while on the road to nowhere. Contemplate how deep the peace can be within you as you recognize that your sins have been paid for and forgiven and that real joy awaits you when you turn from them and you get on the super highway of God, the way of Jesus. And consider how this peace within will have an overflow into your work, into your school, into your relationships, into your marriage, into your church, into your community, and out to the whole world. You see, that's what God desires, is that kind of overflow of peace. Yes, this road leads to peace with God and peace within. And the emphasis of Advent this week is on this peace. Author Judy Booth writes of this in a creative way, emphasizing the way to peace led by God our shepherd. And maybe you've heard this before, it's, it's very clever. The Lord is my peace, I shall not live in anxiety. He puts me under His wing of comfort and calms my spirit within me. He takes all my anxieties on Himself and helps me to focus on Him. Yes, though I walk through a time of grave uncertainties and fierce anxieties, I will not fret, for you are my peace. Your word and your presence calm me now. You hold my uncertainties in the palm of your hand. You soothe my anxious mind. You smooth my wrinkled brow. Surely, serenity and trust in you shall fill me all the days of my life. And I shall keep my mind stayed on you forever. Let us pray to the God of peace.